The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd, I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time, she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation, and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Lloyd, today our show is very exciting. It is about the United States Institute of Peace. And I'm thrilled because we are so lucky. We're sitting here on the campus of the University of California, Irvine, and we have a wonderful gentleman who came to us all the way from Washington, D.C. David Smith is the National Education Outreach Officer at the United States Institute of Peace. He coordinates institute-wide educational outreach and public programming efforts, and he works closely with educational and professional associations, academic institutions, and public groups to promote institute objectives. And he speaks frequently to community, faculty, and student groups on a wide variety of issues, including civil society, peace building, child soldiers, conflict resolution education, and international education. He has an incredible background that you can look at um, on our website at conflicthealing.com and also you can go to their website for the or the United States Institute of Peace at www.usip.org so I want to give him lots of time to talk so thank you so much David for joining us right here well Mari I'm very pleased to be here today thank you for inviting me well this is very exciting so um, tell us about the United States Institute of Peace. Believe it or not, I didn't really even know that it existed. Well, and that's not surprising uh, because for uh, most of our existence, which is, uh, I guess, going on 27 years because we were established in 1980, uh, 1984, um, we haven't operated much in the United States with some exceptions. Uh, we were established as a as an, a nonpartisan, congressionally funded entity to focus on international conflict resolution and peace building. So our work is overseas, and mm. that's what we're charged with, is resolving international conflicts, not domestic conflicts. So it's not surprising that people have not heard of us. So the mission is basically just for international. Do you do anything like in maybe after uh, the Hurricane Katrina, anything like that, nothing at all? 
Uh, well, let, 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 kind of let me put it in a broader context and give you a sense of, of what the motivations were behind establishing the Institute. The idea of a U.S. Institute of Peace as being an entity that would focus on international conflict resolution and peace building uh, is an idea that actually goes back to George Washington, and I won't cover all of that history, but that there was a, a need to, um, uh, at least George Washington indicated in 1783, sent a circular to the state saying, should we have a peace, a peace establishment? He was saying, in the realm of diplomacy, in the realm of avoiding wars, should we possibly train or devote energy to establishing efforts to resolve conflicts not in a war situation. So we've always, um, the idea of an institute of peace in the United States um, has always been one that focused on international efforts. Um, it was uh, after the Vietnam War that there was, again, an interest in establishing institute. Um, after the Vietnam period, there were people who felt kind of angst about our role in Vietnam and so forth. And so the, there was a national grassroots movement around the United States to establish uh, an academic entity that would focus on teaching about peace building and conflict resolution. Uh, simultaneously, there was a congressionally appointed commission in 1979, appointed by Jimmy Carter, and appointed Spark Matsunaga, who's a senator from Hawaii, to look at establishing an, a peace academy. Still, once again, the focus was international. The motivation came from Congress. Um, and, and part of that motivation, kind of answering that question of why we don't do domestic, is, is really kind of a respect for federalism, that is, Congress and the federal government focuses on the international, and domestic matters really focus in on the states. So to answer the question you started off with, <laughs> I'm giving you a long answer to a short question, was we don't focus on international efforts because I think in some respects in you our- You mean domestic, domestic, domestic. Yes, We don't yeah, focus domestic, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Domestic was in our, uh, in the, the notion of the Institute, the idea of domestic things were gonna be handled by local organizations. We were gonna handle international. Right. Now, I'm looking at, you know, I was looking at your website, which oh. is wonderful and has great opportunities there. And you have a whole list here of programs and activities. So you've got um, operating on the ground in zones of conflict. What are you doing there? Yeah, I well, see Iraq and Sudan and Kashmir. Well, it, it, the, the, our work is in the, 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 the most intractable, we would say, the most difficult conflicts around the world. And we, um, as an institute, identify priority conflicts every year where we are going to spend our time. Now, what we do, kind of play out that a little bit, we think of ourselves and we view ourselves as an entity that has, say, four facets. In one respect, we think, so in some respects, we look a bit like a think tank. But much more than that is that we act, we teach, and we train. So in those four places, we'll take a place like Iraq, or Afghanistan or Sudan, we're generally doing all four of those things. That is, we're thinking about researching those conflicts, trying to kind of create the body of knowledge of what's causing the conflict, how to resolve the conflict. We have a fellows program where we bring scholars in to write about that. So we've published a number of publications on Iraq, for instance, and mm. the conflict in Iraq. 
Uh, we also act, and one of the ways that we act is that we fund non-governmental organizations and other internationals who are working in places like Iraq and Afghanistan to try to resolve the conflict. So we are, for instance, trying to um, build civil society efforts in those places to resolve their own conflicts. So we might be funding an NGO, for instance, that is meeting with religious leaders in Iraq and trying to bring them around the table and trying to get them to understand how to resolve the conflict in nonviolent ways. Now, let me ask you with yep. that. Um, yeah, so, yeah. so who is mediating those, or who's right. who's guiding them? Are they people who from their own country that we've trained that are actually doing it? I mean, that understand the culture. How does that work? Well, one of the things that we've been trying to do, uh, for instance, uh, I'll give you an example in Afghanistan. We 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 trained a group. We have an an Afghan facilitation network that we set up in mm -hmm. Afghanistan where we were training Afghan Afghanis themselves to resolve their own conflicts. So in that model, we're training other people in order to resolve the conflicts that they're, they're dealing with. I mean, I, I mean, there are times when we ourselves are sitting down and trying to resolve a conflict. Um, one of my colleagues uh, did a considerable uh, num amount of work in Nigeria um, in trying to resolve conflicts um, uh, in, 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 in Nigeria. And, 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 but more often than not, what we're doing is we're supporting other people and trying to train them. I would think the, the challenge would be the cultural differences. You know, even I've been reading a lot on, you know, I, I've been mostly doing domestic. You know, I haven't done a lot of international, but I've dealt with people who are from China that have business disputes. So, you know, I do that kind of stuff. But there's always a cultural issue for me to understand before I walk into a mediation to understand the culture of the people that are going to be in there if they're from another culture. So I would think that would be a huge challenge for us to, to uh, what kind of training in the culture is there? Right. Well, it is a challenge. And one of the things that I think is, is a very important um, aspect of our approach is that we support other people's efforts in what they're doing in their own homelands. So we're not entering into a conflict presuming that we know the culture as well as they do. And often we are being sought out by those groups to help them in a technical or in a strategic or even a funding way to support what they're doing. So uh, you're right, that is, that is, it's very difficult to understand that. Uh, having said that, one of the things that we're doing, for instance, is we have an academy of international conflict management peace building that we launched two years ago. And we're teaching, uh, our audience uh, at this point tends to be non-governmental organization personnel, um, military, diplomatic, State Department, some academics who are going to work in zones of conflict around the world, and we teach them about how to understand com culture and how to work within very uh, culturally, um, uh, you know, Diverse, diverse <laughs> environments. Yeah. So, so we're doing that also. So, so do you bring in people to teach about the cultures for, of the countries? The you know to, to help in your training. Uh, if you look at, uh, we have a whole series of books on cross-cultural negotiations. Yes, yes. And uh, uh, there are like seven or eight books on that. So, for instance, we have books on Chinese negotiating behavior and uh, negotiating in Israeli-Palestinian contexts. And mm. uh, the president of the institute, Richard Solomon, is really a scholar 
there in, in, in negotiations at that level. And he recently wrote a book on American negotiating behavior, for instance. How American <laughs> for other countries to learn. Right. Yeah. So our books, you know, will be written, are written by scholars in the field who know that culture and know what negotiating that culture is about. Right. So you also have, um, so you have academia, you have classes that you teach, you, you mm -hmm. bring students in. Tell, tell me a little bit more about some of the other programs where you bring students in, interns. Right. right. Well, uh, we, um, as I indicated, our mission is international conflict and working in zones of conflict. Um, but one of the things that we've always been very attentive to is helping to establish within the United States um, uh, a field and 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 a, a will to work in peace building and conflict resolution, and we do that through youth. So, for instance, one of the things that we, one of the first programs we launched in 1987 was a national peace essay contest. Mm -hmm. So every year, uh, between you know 1,100 and maybe 1,500 students from around the United States answer a very high school students answer a very sophisticated question of geopolitical conflict, uh -huh. and, and these students. Uh, um, they get their papers evaluated, and eventually there are 50 winners that come to, to the United States, come to Washington for a week of activities. And uh, so the, the question, this year's question coming up, is, is looking at, at media, looking at social media, and the ways that media can be used, especially our new social media, in promoting peace. Exactly. We've seen what it, what it's done in promoting war and right. promoting uprisings and all sorts of domestic violence in all those countries. So uh, why not use it for good? Of course. Why not make right. uh, Facebook and all that? So you've told me that it's important to our national security. So mm -hmm. why don't you tell us a little bit about why this is so important to national security? Well, it, this is important because, first of all, our military, our people who are engaged on the ground in Iraq and Afghanistan come to us increasingly. Um, the whole uh, notion of the Academy for uh, International Conflict Management and Peacebuilding was really a response to military coming to us and saying, you know, we don't have all of the tools. We know that uh, you know, uh, getting things done in a violent way isn't always going to be the most effective. So if you think of national security as uh, this notion of the multiple ways in which we can ensure our own, our own security and also global security, there are many tools in the toolkit, and nonviolent negotiating is once one of them. And so uh, we've been asked to contribute in that way. So why don't you describe for my audience some of the, maybe the most important ones that you're doing like right now, the, the, the most current projects that really sure. are, you put a lot of emphasis right. on priority on. Right. Let me talk, we can, one of the ways of, of, of looking at the, the things that we're kind of incubating is looking at, we have centers of innovation, and our centers of innovation uh, focus on the areas and the cutting edges of conflict resolution that we think is the most critical. So for instance, we have a center on gender and peace building. Hmm. So one of the things that we're trying to really promote and getting people to understand is the unique role that women play in the peace building process. Um, this past year was the 10th anniversary of the United Nations Resolution 1325, which really brought out the importance of women in the peace building process. Um, and so 
a lot of things have been going on the issue to kind of celebrate that, but kind of to re-emphasize the role that women can play in peace-building processes. And in some cultures, it isn't so obvious. You know, in some parts of the world, you go and it's a, a table of men. Mm-hmm. You know, and the men are making all the decisions, but they're going home to their wives, uh, or the wives are doing things in the back room that may, in fact, be more important than what the men are doing in the front room. Um, another center that we have is that we have a center on on that looks at media and looks at particularly at social media, as I was saying before. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at um, a lot of what's going on now in the in the revolutions in North Africa, and you look at Egypt in in particular, um, the revolution in Egypt was what was an important dimension of that was the use of social networking. When the internet was cut off in, North, in, in Egypt, people went out in the streets because they couldn't connect through Facebook or through Twitter and through these other means. And the way that people organize and communicate was through those means. Um, and it was actually more peaceful when they were doing it that way. Exactly, right, because they could <laughs> communicate, they could understand what was going right. on. Uh, several years before, that same effort had been attempted in Iran. So we're looking at how social media is being used to promote peace around the world. So those are those are two cutting-edge areas that we've been looking at. And um, the third, I mentioned one more, is really looking at the relationship between economies and conflict and economies and peace building. You know, often uh, we have looked at kind of processes and techniques without realizing that in order to bring peace in a society, you need a marketplace. You need people to be employed, you need jobs, you need a thriving industry, right? You need all, right, food, you need all those basics. All the basics, So we're looking at that dimension also and why that's important in promoting peace. Oh, that's wonderful. So, you know, we're sitting here on the campus, so there might be students listening, hopefully, Mm -hmm. on on KUCI. How do students get involved with your project? Well, um, the the U.S. Institute of Peace, as I said, is funded by Congress. So uh, we're not uh, we're not an entity that's looking for you know donations. I'm not here raising money because that's not really necessary. Oh, well, that's good. You're uh, about the only one that isn't. Well, <laughs> and, but but I must say we're funded by taxpayers, so yeah. people already contribute to what we do. I think it's important to right. recognize that that and that could get cut. Uh, and, well, and, yes, uh, there are, there it's a it's a the difficult budget uh, environment we're in right now. Um, but I think uh, what we want young people to do in the United States is to be aware of the work that we're doing and the work that all people are doing in the field. And one of the ways that we're doing that is that we recently moved to a new headquarters on the National Mall. And part of our new headquarters will be a global peace building center, will be an education space, a learning space, a space where people can come and learn about the work of peace building. Uh, Part of that space will be an online presence, and part of that space will be a physical place. Uh, The online presence will probably be developed before the physical space. So one of the things that we want to encourage young people to, to look for is come September, the Global Peace Building Center online as being a place where people can learn about the work of the Institute, but also challenge themselves in in engaging in peace building and challenge themselves in understanding what a career could be like in the field. Um, so that's one thing I would I would ask people okay. to look at. So um, in terms of, of the career in the field, we're talking about everything from conflict resolution, mediation. What, tell us, in fact, I just sat in on a class and mm-hmm. kind of told them about me, or not me, but what the mediation practice is right, all about right. and why it's so important in the world and what it means to, to help resolve conflict even in your own little way it makes it changes the energy in the world so it's really important to start within and around you and that's 
what this whole show is really about. So um, in terms of what do you recommend to students to start thinking of, I mean, they can come to your website, they could um, become an intern. What, what is your recommendation or your suggestions? Well, I, you know, one of the things that I would say is that um, there are small things that we can do in big ways. Um, and I think often young people um, kind of gravitate to the big item, you know. Um, they want to shake up the world, and that's great. I think that's wonderful. But um, I think we have to realize that the, to bring peace in the world is a collective step-by-step -step process quite often. So what I suggest, and you know, I'm dealing in the international arena, and, and that's often very removed from what people are dealing with in their own communities. Um, but your own community is the international arena because we're all part of the international realize that the things that you do in your neighborhood are very significant uh, and and particularly because uh, today our communities are very diverse I mean to, 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 to talk about conflict in the Middle East or in Africa um, you know certainly is important but it may be in your own neighborhood you're dealing with people from different parts of the world and that's bringing about conflict but so I'll tell you when we were in Washington DC I think we heard every language walking down the mall yeah, okay. and going through the Smithsonian right. and the Holocaust Museum and all that stuff in just a few weeks ago and we were laughing because there were so many wonderful different languages and accents going on we were in your city for sure but even here even Orange County you walk on this campus and you've got every race it's it's a real um, colorful uh, you know tapestry of that we can do a lot here and a lot of and of course they have family maybe right, right. or or grandparents or it's, whatever it, this so is, this, this is, is a global world this i mean is what america is yeah you know? yeah we're um, the melting pot <laughs> so i so i tell people look in your own communities at what you can do and and look at the diversity in your own communities and participate in the things that you know our community building that are supporting and nurturing each other that are taking your positive energy and putting that to an effort that may have some lasting impact. It could be a small thing, but the impact could be great and lasting. Right. Uh, not everyone has to go overseas and do the big thing. There are things that you can do in your own right. world that are very important. I mean, even peace within yourself, you know, I mean, just sure. to, to resolve the conflict within yourself. What what graduate school do I go to? You sure. know, the, the little mind over here goes, go here, go here. The other one says, no, no, go there, you know. Well, you know. And, and then you've got the conflict in your own families. Right, right. Well, Mahatma Gandhi was always famous as saying that you need to look at yourself first yes. and work on yourself before you really can work in a greater environment and um, look at the way you are behaving and the way you are treating each other, treating yourself, I suppose, in some ways. So yeah, it's, it's like important. that song, Let Peace Begin With Me. Exactly. exactly. And, and that's where it really starts. Right, right. Exactly. So you have an exciting background that we didn't even talk about. How is it that you got this passion for peace? How did this whole thing evolve for you? Well, I think in some respects, uh, a, a lot of the journeys we're on start with something personal in our lives. Uh, I'm the child of divorce. Uh, my parents uh, had a difficult uh, divorce. And uh, that l led me in my first career to want to uh, be in an environment where I could help people go through that process. Uh, and, and for me, it was law school. Uh, and people would say, well, Yes, law school and being a lawyer can be a, a helpful profession. Uh, not everyone would agree all the time. I would say <laughs> that it is. And so um, I, uh, I, I was a divorce lawyer, 
And then uh, back uh, probably about 1989, I, I found that prosecuting or, or, or taking cases to court, custody cases and alimony cases, uh, were, was not always the best way uh, to, to bring stability in a family and help people move on. So I took a mediation course. And back in the late 90s, late 80s, I should say, uh, this was about 1989, mediation was a rather new thing. In fact, when I'd gone to law school years before, there had been no mediation as such. Uh, what really got me interested in, ironically, was at the time my wife was in law school, and she took a mediation course, and it was the first course in her law school. And I read the book, like in a night, and I said, boy, I, this is changing my life. So then I started incorporating mediation in my practice and started doing more and more mediation. And then um, I kept doing that. I then went into academia and taught uh, community college for a number of years. And when I started doing that, then I still was very interested in conflict resolution and helped establish a community mediation center in the county that I was working in Maryland. Mm -hmm. And spent several years really working on that community mediation center. Kind of left domestic mediation, went to community mediation. And then while I was teaching, I, I realized that I, I did not really understand the international, uh, that I knew about domestic, and I was looking at kind of community mediation. So um, I, I actually took a training course at the U.S. Institute of Peace about 20 years ago before I started working there mm -hmm. um, and learning more about it. And then after that, I went on a Fulbright. I was a Fulbright scholar, and in 2003, I went to Estonia. Um, and taught at the University of Tartu, which is the largest university in Estonia. And I taught peace studies at the undergraduate level, and I taught ADR, Turn of Dispute Resolution Law School level. So this gave me a global perspective that I hadn't had before in teaching about it. So. I then felt like I've had this domestic, this kind of more group. From the micro to the macro. Micro to the macro. I had that. And then when I came back, I really, and then I went back to school. Um, I think with a lot of us who work in the field, um, we learn the techniques and we learn the approaches, but we don't necessarily have come from the theory and the practice. So I went back to school and ended up getting a master's degree at uh, George Mason University, which has a, a well-known conflict resolution program. And then I went to U.S. SIP and have been there ever since, and have been able then to work on the international, but also have been able to um, add the value that I've had from working in domestic is important at, at USIP because I'm able to make those connections. Right. So what kind of courses does USIP offer, and well, who's, who's it open to? Right. Well, the courses right now in our Academy for International Conflict Management and Peacebuilding are courses that the is designed for people who are going to be working in zones of conflict, because we have an international mission. Right. So we have courses, for instance, on peace processes, what's a peace process? Or we have a course on the rule of law and the importance of the rule of law, legal systems in a conflict. Uh, we have a course on negotiation. Uh, we have a course on cross-cultural you know, understanding about culture and so forth. Uh, you think about a conflict situation, you think about all the various uh, dimensions of how a conflict evolves and how a conflict can be solved. It's it's many multifaceted, layers, multifaceted yes. many layers. So all of our courses are designed to uh, in, improve 
a student's understanding, teach them particular tools and techniques that they can then use. So I'm sitting here on the campus, and I'm wondering, you know, as I see the students going by, um, and, and I just sat in on a class for mediation and conflict resolution. So what if somebody's interested in getting into this? What is your suggestion for them? Well, one of the things that I, I'd forgotten to mention about the courses is that we have online courses. Uh, we have actually uh, uh, several online courses that students can take from here at UC Irvine. They can go to our website, and we have a free course on on conflict analysis huh. that they can take. We also have a- I wonder a, if it's reciprocal credit. Uh, I, it's not, not credit, uh, though oh. I know a lot of faculty integrate it within their classes. We also have a course on interfaith uh, conflict also that students can take. So that's something that they can do if they want to do something online, learn a little bit about our work. Um, I think uh, it, with students at UC Irvine, one is, like I said, is becoming aware of our work. They can subscribe to our newsletter. I mean, our we have a a weekly uh, bulletin that comes out that can get publications. A lot of our publications are free that students can use in their research and their studying. Uh, but they can come and visit us in Washington also when we build our Global Peace Building Center. And, and uh, I also saw that you have an intern program. So Well, we have a... It, I wouldn't say it's an intern program in the, in, the, in the same sense of it. We have individuals, college graduate students that work for us I see. that are graduate research assistants. That's what we have. So you do research too, so they we can maybe lot, get involved in research. We do a lot of research in that respect also. Right. So. Well, we are just about out of time. I want to say this has been so fun. I'm so glad you're out here from D.C. You get to see our beautiful campus. You get to see the Peace Institute that we have here. Um, got to speak here and let people get to meet you, and it's really wonderful. And uh, we will send everyone to your website I just want to, for those of you who just are kind of just listening in, you can listen to us where it's archived on our website at conflicthealing.com. And also we podcast on iTunes. And we're speaking with David J. Smith, who is the National Educational Outreach Officer at the United States Institute of Peace. And you can learn more about him, and we link to their program, and you can go to usip.org. Well, thank you so much, and we will have you back again, especially when you get that building going, and you can tell us more about the great things you're doing. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Mark. Okay, thank you. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, the host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict, and go to our website at conflicthealing.com where you can see our upcoming guests, listen to archived interviews, download podcasts, and see lots more. Thank you so much, and thank you, Lloyd. It's about trust. in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.